Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. All right, Enterprisers, I am super excited. I have a fellow podcast entrepreneur on with me today, S.A. Grant. I'm super excited. I'm going to learn so much. So if you see me looking down, feverishly taking notes, it's because this guest, S.A. Grant, he is a boss. He gave me a nickname on his last show. I was a guest on his show. But this guy, he's a boss. He's very, very smart. Just a cool all-around guy. And I'm super excited to be talking with you today. But I say before we get into any of the good stuff, and there will be a lot of good stuff to be had, can I get an oh yeah? Oh yeah, big baby baby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So man, tell me what is new in your world? What are you working on that you're excited about? Well, I think off air we were talking about this is something that I think everyone has, but I don't think they're, they're going to have it to, to where it's going to be fruitful, right? So I was talking about creating our new website, and obviously we have digital enterprises across on multiple different platforms from directories and podcasting and onboarding forms and funnels. But what would it look like to consolidate all of these different things into one platform? So that's what my, my team and I are working on right now. So we have pretty much about 100 to 300 pages worth of things that we're trying to consolidate into one page right now. That's kind of a lot. You mentioned digital assets. What does that mean? What, what does that mean to you? Because when I hear digital assets, that mm -hmm. means one thing, but I'm curious to know, what does that mean for you? Well, I mean, I look at it no different than any standard assets, right? I mean, if you're familiar with financial assets, digital assets kind of fall into that realm. So it can be ebook, right? It can be an online directory, your podcast, you know, anything that pretty much is backed by a digital representation that essentially makes you money or, you know, it can be monetized or it's a, becomes a lead magnet. Got it. So how versed are you in the whole world of Bitcoin and digital money and all that kind of stuff on a scale from zero to 10? I'm like a two. Like I understand conceptually <laughs> what that stuff is, but are, are you the same? Or are you a little, little bit more educated in terms of that stuff? I would say it's one of those things that like the more you know, the less you know. So I would put myself somewhere around like the six because I know that there's so much more that I don't know, but there's so much that I do know as well. What are some of the things, right? When you think about owned media, just media being media that you own, you mentioned website, eBooks, podcasts, things like that. What, why is it important for business owners to really under number one, understand what own media is, but be creating media that they own? I think it's everything. I mean, obviously, I think people, when they put stuff on Facebook and LinkedIn, they think they own that media. And that's just more so a distribution 
But behind the scenes is like, where is that media coming from? How are you storing that media? Because again, you may post it one time, but you can post it on several other things, right? You can post it on your blog. You can post it on YouTube. You can post it on all these different platforms. So they really have to understand like owning that content means that you created that content, you facilitated that content, or you purchased that content that you own 100% of the time that you can use and do whatever you see that you want to do at any given time. Cool. So we're going to put a pin in that. I want to spend a little mm-hmm. bit of time talking about your journey. I am on a journey of self-mastery myself where I really want to do the deep work of understanding who I am not, what I like, and like the heart of and the, the reason why I do the things that I do. Talk about that journey for you. Do you feel like you've mastered it or are you still on that journey as I am? I think that kind of like falls into the last answer, right? It's kind of like the more you know, the less you know. So for me, like as you master one thing, then you figure out that you have more things to master, right? So you can never be completely a mastered individual. It's an ongoing thing from the day that you're born until your last breath, right? So for me, I think I've overcome several different hurdles on my journey to get to where I am right now. And I think I'm in a good place. And I will say that it starts with the mind, right? Like the mental aspect of it is what you're really going to have to battle no matter how effective or how successful you are. Everyone goes through depression. Everyone has highs and lows. Everyone has mood swings. So you're really going to have to figure out like, how do you master that and then make it work for you? And then as you step up in progression, there's going to be new hurdles that you never experienced that what you were doing before is probably not going to be compliant to help you move through that process and you're going to learn something new at that point. I think the coolest part about the journey uh, in general is you're always becoming right. I'm a different person at 41 than I was at 31. And so the things that I did at 31, they don't apply (laughs) at 41. And the things that I knew did overcame at 21, they don't apply or they shouldn't apply. If you are doing the same things, Right. At 41 that you were doing at 21, then there's the opportunity for some self-work. 100 percent. 100 percent agree with that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like if you look at Elon Musk, I mean, what was Elon Musk doing in his 20s? Right. I mean, people have probably known him more so for like like the PayPal, eBay era. But I mean, obviously, he didn't stop there. Right. He like he can e- evolve to the point to where he's trying to take people to the Mars. Who would have thought that 20, 30 years ago that he was even maybe talking about going to Mars now? Yeah. So I'm curious to know, let's talk some business a a little bit. You are an experienced business owner. You have a lot, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of knowledge. Like we could literally do like a four minute intro for you, but Mm -hmm. talk about the process of consolidation, how you came to the conclusion Mm -hmm. that you needed to consolidate and sort of that your business model on, you know, where you're going or where your business is going. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a big onion to peel back. And it's kind of like you're sitting down at Outback Steakhouse and you're, you're eating like the, the onion blossom. So it's going to it's going to take a minute. I like to give short answers, but unfortunately, this one's going to have to be a that's long okay. one. Right. I got I so, have my notes ready. All right. So I'm going to start it off with like my journey. I, I mean, I started off in, in Brooklyn, you know, as a kid growing up. And my creative outlet was graffiti. You know, I, I was drawing in black books and, and, and I found that some friends that were doing graffiti. So I got into markers, spray paint, sandpaper. And then, you know, my senior year, going into my senior year in high school, my parents decided to move me to Atlanta, Georgia, and they kind of uprooted me from New York. So obviously being, you know, 16, 17 years old, that kind of frustrates you and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do next. And school, I graduated and then they said, OK, well, let's put you in art school. For me, I was like, I don't care, whatever. Went to art school and I was like, wow, holy shit. This is something that I I know I can do. I I loved it because it was me doing graffiti on a digital platform. 
So that just started growing and growing. And then I started realizing that I was a weirdo amongst weirdos. Everyone was creative. I was creative, but I was weirder than the standard creative. And it was like, well, why am I different? And that's when I started to realize that those people are not necessarily analytical. They're creative thinkers. And I'm split down the middle equally between creative and analytical. So then I would say like a smart dumbass. I went and got my second degree in web design and multimedia searching for the analytical side. And I found some analytical side. I found some creativity, but I was still the weirdo amongst these weirdos. So I was like, damn, I don't fit in either one of them. But I learned enough information to say, okay, I'm going to start my first company. So I started my first LLC was back in like 2000. And I was just kind of building. And then September 11th happened. There was no job opportunities. And then the school that I went to hired me as a tech. So that's how I really got into like video and audio and photography. But I got tired of babysitting kids that were my age. So I went, I was like, hey, let me go back to, to corporate America and then see now that September 11th was a couple of years ago, there should be some job opportunities. And I went into it now, and, and I've held dozens of titles, creative director, art director, IT director, web developer, web designer, all these different things collectively over that period of time. And I was like, well, I want to take what I'm learning and I want to get an MBA, but I'm not willing to pay for an MBA. Maybe someone could pay me and I could learn at the same time. So I devised this plan of opportunity to go from corporation to corporation to learn their systems and take those systems and add them to my LLC. So my LLC kept morphing. It went from like a design company to like an agency to a media company to where I just named it 360 at one point in time. And I was building all these different facets. And I was like, okay, now that I understand marketing, understand strategy, understand building, team development, I need to understand finance. So then I jumped into finance. I got my insurance license. And I was like, well, this is cool. I'm building teams up and down the East Coast. I'm getting paid residual income. And I still have my agency. Well, I need to look and see what, what else can I do with finance? Then I went and got my Series 6, did this collectively for a period of time, traveling up and down the East Coast. And I was like, this is interesting. This is really interesting. I still have my agency and I'm making money in the market as well. Well, I'm doing all this traveling. Let me become a travel agent. So I just kept on layering on disciplines on top of disciplines. I, I worked for Comcast for three months, learned their upsell, downsell model. Then after that, I worked for Apple for six months, learned their, their CRM, PeopleSoft platform. And I literally just jumped from corporation to corporation to build what I was thinking at the time to be this giant enterprise, this huge corporation. And then unfortunately, 2018 is when I had my stroke. And that was like my eureka moment to wake up to say, okay, I'm doing all these different things. I'm building this. I'm getting money. But what is my legacy? What am I leaving behind? Where's the breadcrumbs? And that kind of brings us to where we are right now. So talk about that a little bit. I, by the way, br brilliant plan. That's uh, very insightful to be thinking about that. I was a little dense. It took me a little bit to get that. I had um, jumped out into entrepreneurship too soon. You know, I wasn't ready. Look, hindsight, looking back. And when I jumped back in, I really started to look at the organization as a training ground. I would uh, pay attention to how the CEO went about with strategy and, and managing culture. I would watch how the project managers mm -hmm. managed projects. How did they lead people that didn't report to them? And I would just take copious notes, take the book recommendations and I would read and I would study. And so it's cool to, to see that I'm not a weirdo in that way. It took me a little bit longer to kind of get it, but it's cool to see that that was you know something that you incorporated as well. So having a stroke, you're a relatively young guy, right? Take back to that moment. Like what is that... Mm -hmm. do and, and how do you shift i mean because that's not a, a simple blip blip in the world that's a big thing yeah it is i mean you know unfortunately genetically 
it plays into it. Like my dad had a stroke, his dad had a stroke and so forth. So that's one element of it. I think the other part was not getting enough sleep with the, the, the mindset of I'll sleep when I die. Yeah. I almost literally died because I didn't sleep. Right. I mean, like that's what it really came down to, you know, in 24 hours, I was trying to work anywhere from like 20 to 22 hours on average, going to bed two, three o'clock in the, in the morning. And at the same time, in the early days, I was also a single parent. So I had primary full custody of my son when he was four and now he's about to be 18. So in that time frame, it was get up, take him to school, pick him up from school, take him to basketball, do all these different things and work these multiple different opportunities and work. So I was just burning the candlestick on both ends. And, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, at the same time, it became part of who I am and part of my story. But to your point, like when you're in the bed in the hospital and you wake up and you're looking around, you're like, okay, well, I know I'm in the hospital. I think I didn't die. What happened? (laughs) And so then when they tell you what happened, it's kind of like, ah. Okay, so like I understand what happened, and then I didn't realize the extent of it until they tried to bring me some food, and my right hand was completely like throwing food all over the place. I couldn't had no muscle control. My face was drooped on the right side. My right side of my body was just way weaker than my left side. So I was like, I need to kind of mentally figure out how am I going to overcome this, and I'm going to do it in the next week. I was like, I'm going to get out this hospital in five days. So it happened Sunday night. Woke up Monday, and then Friday I checked out from the hospital. Where does that come from? Like the mental fortitude to say that to yourself? Because a lot of times it's, you know, it's what we say to ourselves that, that allow us to either mm-hmm. achieve our goals or not. Like, where'd you get mm-hmm. that from? I'm not sure. Cause like, you know, I always kind of like think about it from a standpoint of entrepreneurs and I interviewed hundreds of entrepreneurs and it's usually one family member is an entrepreneur or one fa- family member is, is a business owner. And potentially like my family, I can't really put my finger on who was that person. Like my mom always had like a nine to five. She was a nurse. She was different things. My dad had hustle aspects to him, but he never really like completed any of those aspects of his hustle. Right. So he was also working for people as well. So for me, it was just more so growing up as an only child and, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, I was just kind of like, I wanted things for myself and I wanted my son's life to be different than mine or at least better than what mine was not to say that mine was bad. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said to when you and and not a knock to people who are not full time entrepreneurs. I I don't mean what I'm about to say as a knock, but there's something to say when there's no paycheck coming. Like you literally (laughs) have to figure it out or you're not going to eat like there's a different gear (laughs) and there's a different level of stress. And there's a different way that you approach things when you know that you got to figure it out. You got to make it happen. What role did that play in your decision to really pick a business model that worked? And and what was that process? Well, I mean, just to start off from where we left off, I mean, I always say that in front of every person that you see that's successful in front of you, they did not do it by themselves. They have been, may have been the driving factor. They have been probably be the pinnacle, the keystone, but a keystone and a bridge without other components is not a bridge, right? So for me at that point in time, it was my girlfriend who became my wife. And while I was in the hospital, she looked at me and she was like, okay, well, I think that this is the time for you to kind of reevaluate what you was doing. And maybe this is the opportunity for you to brand yourself the way you've been branding all these other companies and working for all these other agencies why don't you just brand yourself? And I was like, first of all, after she said that, I knew I was going to marry her. Right. Second of all, then I was like, okay, what is that going to look like? Like, what is, what is media like right now or agencies? And I was like, you know what, maybe if I'm going to step in front of the camera, I could either become a YouTuber or a podcaster. And because I was more the guy behind the curtain, the quiet, subdued person, 
I chose the latter of the two, even though today I do both. But in the beginning, I started without video and I started just with audio to kind of figure things out. Yeah. What talk a little bit about media talking business model, the media business model versus the agency business model. Are you are you doing both? Are you moving to one or the other? So believe it or not, I, I'm currently I'm doing both. And obviously they're the two separate models, but the, I always say that like they're parallel models. They run on the same frequency. Like there are definitely interactions between them. But for me, I'm I'm taking those models and I'm, I'm building an establishment, but then ideally I'm more so looking to the passive income, passive revenue based upon those two models. So prime example would be media podcasting, right? There's a million different ways to monetize podcasting. Then there's agency, right? Podcasting becomes the lead magnet. Then people will kind of buy your services from your agency. But ideally, I'm looking at, okay, what if I use the podcast as a lead magnet, I find the right people, and then I apply them to other products and services. And it kind of goes into the affiliate side to kind of say, hey, I have information for you. I have value add. Here it is for free. Check it out. If you buy, great. I get paid. If not, then it is what it is. But ideally, that's the model that everything that I'm building is going to go to, just sending traffic to particular destinations. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And for for me, I think more and more, I, I really want to focus my attention. We talked about consolidation before, because I found that if you really focus on one thing, you can get really, really good at that one thing. And as entrepreneurs, it's very difficult to do one thing because we always have ideas. There's always the market presenting opportunities. And so I hear you on that. And I, and I love the affiliate, strategic affiliate angle, because you become a connector. And you monetize in a way that you don't necessarily have to provide the service. So that's smart. Yep. Yep. And again, that this is one of many models, right? And kind of going to the overlapping the models and with the dawn of AI and creating content and selling content, and selling academies and selling books, selling the courses, all of these kind of just work with each other. Because you may have people that want to learn what you're doing and buy into your products for them to learn, or that you may have people that don't necessarily need your service, but they need some other kind of service that you may not have. Well, to your point, if we're doing these podcasts at scale and we're interviewing a little bit of everyone in different frequencies, it only makes sense that we're partnering with each person that we're interviewing as we're growing. So the podcast is more a lead magnet, a growth strategy. It's all these different things that collaborate and work in one medium. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, as you've built out your affiliate, and, and the thing that I, I pride myself on is I know that I don't know a lot of stuff. Like I know a few things. And so everybody that I talk to, everybody that I interview, everybody that I'm, that I guest on, I'm always learning. And one of the things that I've already learned from you is you're really great at connecting people and you're really great at, at doing the, the work ahead of time of head, ahead of your interviews and, and interviewing people strategically. Talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit as you're building out this, your affiliate network. What are some of the ways like specifically that you're thinking about? how you execute your show that, that the listeners can glean from. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those answers that could be pretty long. And I want the listener to obviously take what I'm going to say, because I'm just going to throw it up. And, and I want you to kind of listen to it from a standpoint of you're not on this planet. You're not in this universe. And I'm not saying that we have God complexes, but you're looking down at every single thing and then you're orchestrating the noise. So to answer that question from the affiliate side, yes. Every single time I do an interview and somebody is doing my onboarding form, they're processing information. And then I have 
items listed in that form that asks them, hey, do you have an affiliate offer for your product or service? So by default, they're telling me right away if they do or if they don't, right? Then I have another question that says, okay, this podcast is sponsored by this agency, which I just happen to own this agency, right? Do you need any of these particular services? Do you want leads or unlimited leads to come in? Something along those lines. And if they say yes, or they say, no, we just want to join your club or no, or yeah, hey, call me right now. I want some more information. Well, if you put those two elements together, right? It becomes a gold mine. I'm finding the affiliate deals automatically. They're delivering them to me. And then people that don't have affiliate deals, then if they need help with any different service, why not would I offer this affiliate service for them to say, hey, well, maybe you should create an affiliate program or maybe you should do some blah, blah, blah and, and put a price tag on it. And then you can hire an affiliate army to be your sales reps. Right. That goes into the growth strategy model. And then on top of that, like going into what you said about the research, I they make them fill out the form. It's a requirement. And the reason why I do that, because it gives me. A, a conversion of saving time. I don't have to do the research to find out what platform, their name, and every, every platform you can use any name that you want. So that kind of cuts down on the time. But what I really do is I do a deep dive. Like I'll go into someone's profile and I'll review them. And what I'm really looking for is more of the personal connection. Because I mean, the business is what they're selling and they're promoting. So I don't have to look for that. That's going to be delivered on the podcast. But who's their dog, right? Do they have one on one dog? Do they have kids? You know, and again, if you're looking at social media, a lot of times people don't realize that if you're commenting, if you're sharing, if you're liking, like there's overlap. So someone's mom may make a comment like that's my son or that's my daughter right there. And automatically I'm just like, well, guess what? Guess what? I just found that person's mom. Then I'm going to click on their profile. And obviously, if that's a mom, they're going to have information about you that you won't have on your page that you won't remember until I bring it up live on the show. And then your mouth hits the floor because again, you don't expect for someone to even know that about you. So by doing that, it makes it to where we're friends, even though I just met them for the first time, they know I've done my due diligence. I probably know more about their life at, at that moment than probably some of the other friends or that, that, that they're surrounded in their circles. So then I kind of diversify this, right? So now I have this, right? You have the, the state of mind of, of what I'm going into the podcast. Then I think about my question structures on how can I give away value and put a price tag associated to it without someone even thinking about it. And an example of that is my book club. My book club is a byproduct of my podcast. Every episode, I ask a universal question of what books helped you on your journey? What books are you reading? Or have you authored any books? Nine out of 10 times, one of those three, if not all three, will get books that are recommended, right? Including their own books that they've written. So the books that they've written feeds into my other podcast, which is the book club. And then obviously I have an online book directory that's supported by Amazon with all the books that have always been recommended on my show. And if you don't know anything about Amazon's cookies, once someone clicks on a cookie and they go to the Amazon cart for the next 24 hours, anything that's added to that cart or that's in that cart when that book is in there and they purchase it, you'll get kickback for all those items, not just the book. So it's kind of an indirect marketing strategy. It's an indirect monetization strategy. But again, it hurts no one. And if you set it up correctly, you're pretty much getting checked without thinking about it. That's fascinating. I did not know that about Amazon. So does that capture after that? So let's say they want to buy the book, but they don't buy it until 30 days later. Do you still get credit as an affiliate for that book sale? Not if the cookie's not, because the cookie's a 24-hour cookie. So if they put it in their shopping cart, you could lose it if they don't make that purchase. But ideally, more than likely, they go to Amazon. They're not just buying your book. 
let's just be honest, like the conversion for that. I don't know the exact numbers. Just say out of 10 people, five people may just buy that one item. But sometimes people, they want that prime free shipping or two day shipping. And that book may be $10 and it costs $20 or $25 to get the free shipping. So what are they going to do naturally? Purchase Mm -hmm. something else. So it kind of goes into like what I learned from working at Apple, like transaction SKUs, right? The more transactions you have, the SKUs per transactions is is the higher average sales that you're going to have. If you sell a laptop, you're going to try to sell a laptop cover. You're going to try to sell cables, adapters, and somebody leaves with 20 items versus just the one laptop. It's the same exact philosophy. How do you handle the partnerships from the perspective of making sure that they're actually good at what they do? So naturally, just because somebody comes on a podcast Mm -hmm. and says, hey, I do this thing great, doesn't necessarily mean that they do the thing great. So how do you handle that piece of it? It's just knowing enough about your strategic partners where Mm -hmm. they don't diminish your (laughs) recommendation when somebody does go and buy from them. Well, that goes back to them filling out the form, right? So part of the requirement of filling out the form and I'm doing the research, I get to do what? Dive into their social media platforms, right? So if they're talking about AI technology and I dive into their social media platforms and there's no information about AI technology in there, like that's like they did themselves a disservice at that point in time. Like I'm not going to market them, right? But nine out of 10 times, and and it also goes back to like something we haven't talked about as of yet, which is podcast recruiters. So if you know anything about podcast recruiters or podcast booking agents, they pretty much are getting paid to find our podcast. So the people that are paying them, they're going to have to come correct. And if they don't come correct, then that's part of the podcast agent to help them get correct. Help them to build a one sheet. Help them to make sure that their profiles look like the way it should. Make sure their websites are in alignment with their messaging and their their mission statement are all in alignment. So by the time they come to me, Nine out of 10 times, they should be pretty successful or in the right direction to being successful. So ideally, I already know if they're coming from an agent that nine out of 10 times, then I can give them the green light. That's a really, really good point, because to your point, if they're going through an agency, that means that they've invested dollars and time in Mm -hmm. making sure that their message is hitting the right people. So that's a really good point. So let's talk your business growth. Where I know we talked about earlier how right now we're consolidating everything. We're getting everything into alignment. What does growth mm-hmm. and scale scaling look like for you? Are you just doubling down on the, the affiliate? I understand you have some training offerings as well. What does growth look like for you? I mean, I kind of look at it from a standpoint of once I figured out that before I even knew I was a podcaster. And now I'm like, you know what? I am a podcaster. Like I breathe it. I live it. I eat it. So there's so many different ways to monetize it. So what I'm building is this, this going back to what I originally wanted to build, this huge empire, but I was building it the wrong way. So now that I have a branded empire and I have a core focus, everything that I've learned all applies to podcasting. If I demonstrate it that way. So I'm demonstrating it at scale. I'm saying, okay, if you want someone to help you build an e-commerce platform, what better person than to help you build an e-commerce platform for your podcast than someone that has a podcast that has an e-commerce platform that has 500 to a thousand products in it. And that's already doing it versus talking the BS. I'm talking and I'm walking it at the same time. So everything that I'm doing from my podcast, they just become like my case studies. Now, obviously, I have clients in each one of these different demographics, but I am my first and primary client, first and foremost. Yeah, that, that's beautiful because we talked about earlier self-mastery, right? Understanding who you are and who you are not. You use the term that I love. I am a podcaster. I'm like-minded. I mean, 
I am a podcaster. On my tombstone, even, I think <laughs> you say, who was Elsie? Like, bury me with my headphones and my mic. Like, I am this thing that is called podcasting. So I love that. And I love how you framed it from the perspective of this is who I am and everything else flows yeah. through that. Because I think that as entrepreneurs, that helps us really kind of streamline our work, whether it's something that we should hand off to somebody else, whether that's a partner, whether that's a platform that we're building, it helps streamline and focus that attention mm -hmm. and activity. Talk a little bit about, and I know we're podcasters talking here, but you're an entrepreneur listening to this podcast. Why is it, and I'm going to jump out on a limb here and, and say that you agree with me when I say this, why should every single entrepreneur on the face of this planet be in the podcast space in some form? They're either guesting on a show, hosting a show, mm -hmm. or sponsoring shows. I always tell people, you should probably be doing all three. But wh why, from another person's mouth, you're an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. business owner, you're listening to this podcast, and you're like, Elsie says it all the time, but sometimes it's better when somebody else says it. Why should they absolutely have a podcast or be in the space? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's... To be very honest and be very frank, I think it'll be unforgivable for anyone that's not stepping into the podcast space today, being that it's not and it's, it's it's not an infant anymore, right? It's kind of like a toddler per se, but it's a toddler based upon media that has always existed. Okay, podcasting, TV, YouTube, all of these things fall into the same realm, right? Podcasting, audio, radio falls into the same realm. Podcasting, advertisement. Digital advertising, print, all of that shit falls under the same ecosystem. So if you're a business that's trying to grow, you're going to need marketing. You're going to need content. You're going to need advertising. You're going to need, you're going to need all the key elements of what a business is essentially developed on. So why would you not want to go back to what we said in the beginning of this podcast, own your own content? It only makes sense. And you're always trying to figure out, oh, what kind of content do I, what kind of, well, if I am talking about software and I only interview software people and I sell software platforms and I sell SaaS, it's a gold mine because now I'm making all these partnerships with people that do the same thing that I do, like-minded individuals. And I'm also giving back to my actual avatars that are working in my SaaS platform updates and information about the industry that they may not have heard about unless they had listened to my show, which makes you not only the focal point, but you become the hero in that story. If you want to get into brand storytelling, like again, all these elements that are existing in books and strategies and movies and videos have been around forever, but podcasting gives you the opportunity to own and to do all of it collectively as one. If you look about it, Oprah was a damn podcast. She was. She was a podcast host that had a, a podcast that became a syndicated TV show, right? That became a channel or a podcast network. I mean, all of these keywords all flow together if you think about it from, again, not in the land, not on the planet, not in the universe, from like almost like a God complex viewpoint to look at it. We're following in the footsteps of giants. Why do you think they don't already. Do you think it's just because of they don't understand the technology? Do you think, because I, I get this all the time. People say, well, podcasting saturated. I'm like, well, everybody has a website, <laughs> but that didn't stop you from building one for your business. Like everybody, like when I graduated college with a degree in electronics, there were hundreds of thousands of other people who had the same degree. And I never even once to consider the fact that I would get a job because nobody has my story. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to tell it the way I can tell it. And nobody's me. Why do you think people are not literally jumping at the opportunity to own their own media? 
I mean, this is kind of like if doing a keyword strategy, I could name you thousands of keywords from fear, being neglectful. There's so many different ways of describing those individual people. But ideally, I think if they look at it from the standpoint that we're, we're, we're vastly approaching 8 billion people on the planet that we live in, right? 8 billion. In the US, we are at 300 million. I want you to listen to that number, 300 million out of 8 billion, which is a fraction Right. It's a fraction when you go from billions to millions. Right. And the U.S. has this great economy and, and all this other stuff that's going on that, that we know today. But ideally, think about that. That's 300 million people out of 8 billion. And out of that 300 million, let's say, for example, Burger King maybe has 3 million or 30 million people. Everyone knows Burger King. Everyone knows McDonald's. Not all 300 million people in the U.S. eats from those particular locations, but it's a household name. Now, subtract McDonald's and switch, switch that with media. Everyone knows ABC. Everyone knows Disney. But Disney does not have 300 million people. They may have 1 million, 2 million, 3 million people. The idea here is that, again, you have to talk to your ideal avatar. You could become a wealthy millionaire or a billionaire with a fraction of a percent of the entire world's population. So when somebody says that podcasting is flooded and there's too many, like again, there's only 3 million podcasts collectively. And out of those 3 million podcasts, maybe 5% of them are creating content on a regular basis. So that leaves the other 2 million and change that don't do anything. So is, is it really flooded? No, it's far from it. Your audience and my audience, there may be some overlap. But again, you have a range of 8 billion people. And I have a range of 8 billion people. So if you're looking at this as two separate circles, yeah, we got some overlap. But I almost guarantee you that... Whoever's listening to this episode right now, it may be the first time they've even heard of me and vice versa on my episode. But again, we both have followings. Yeah, no, I, I love that perspective because I always tell people I love having other people who are in the same space on my show because it helps me get perspective and it helps me continue to build those relationships. I have an abundance mindset. I know that there's plenty of work to go around and I know that the people that you serve you're uniquely qualified and called to serve. And the people that I'm here to serve are my people. So, but let's talk tactics for a second. We're talking content marketing. We're talking own media. What are some of the tactics that you've used over the years that you, that have worked well for you? I would say the primary thing about podcasting is not, I mean, obviously the content has to be flawless, right? You have to have good presence. You have to be able to interview someone. You have to listen. All that kind of goes without saying, but I think more so behind the scenes, there's two keywords. One is the actual system. Like how are you recording? How are you editing? What are you uploading? How are you creating your images? How are you then spreading that content on the internet? Like what system is that? And that should be multiple systems. And then second to that, it's like, okay, how do I then automate that system? How much time can I save by automatically creating things without me having to think about it? There may be 12 steps, but if I can get six steps, well, then let's say that those six steps, six, two hours, two hours times, whatever, that's a lot of time that's saved that I'll never be able to get back, right? So ideally, systems and automation, like those are the two things. If you need to figure out anything, figure those out. Got it. What are some of the tools that you're using? And at the risk of us nerding out, and spending the rest of our yeah. interview on tech, what are some of the tools and some of the tech that you use? I would say even going above that, right? Like most people, they'll go to Google and they will type in this type of automation or I need this to happen on YouTube. I go to AppSumo.com 
and AppSumo's competitors. And I start there because, again, if you know anything about MailChimp, if you know anything about Zapier and they both have automation, one is email marketing and one is 100% automation, both of them started on AppSumo. So I want you to think about this from a perspective of cost analysis, right? If I can save my company $500 a month every month or $50 or $5,000 a month for not paying for software that I need to run my business, then that makes perfect sense. So the first thing I do, is I go to AppSumo. And I type in a keyword, like if I may be looking for SEM rush, well, I know SEM rush probably costs like a hundred bucks, 300 bucks per month. Why would I not type that keyword in there just to see what comes up? And nine out of 10 times, there's a new competitor in the space that has a lifetime deal that gives me pretty much close to what SEM rush has or what MailChimp may have or what other platforms may have. And I'm also helping a new entrepreneur and a new founder for the company. And I can give them insight and help them mold that platform to do exactly what I need to do today without paying a full-time premium for it. I absolutely love that. One, one of the things I was on in my team meeting this morning, and we were talking about my show, Enterprise Now, and how I'm sometimes I'm conflicted, right? Because I understand mm-hmm. that if I land these huge celebrity guests and do this whole celebrity thing, my podcast will grow. It's just a matter of data and the numbers. But is that the kind of growth that I want? What's your take? Do you only interview the big celebrity podcasters? Do you mix it in? What, what does S.A. Grant have to say? And this is me. I'm switching the, the hat here. This is me asking uh, as a fellow podcaster, what are some of the ways that you're thinking about that? I think you and I, we definitely think very similar, right? I mean, to your point, if I was to have an interview with Jay-Z and 1% of Jay-Z's audience shows up on my podcast, night and day difference, right? Or to the other point about lead magnets and marketing and strategy and building partnerships and affiliates, like the likelihood of someone making an affiliate deal with Jay-Z is like, it's not going to happen. Right. Or it's going to take years for you to go through the vetting process to verify, to make sure that you can even be equipped to handle the magnitude of what he's going to bring to the table. So I always say, look at it as sharks. Yeah. There's huge sharks, but it's also these fish that swim under these sharks and they eat all day, every day, just fine. And the shark never touch them. That's who I go after. I go after people that are not necessarily the biggest fish in, in the pond or the river, but nobody messes with them and they're highly successful and they're making their names and they're also climbing the ladders and they're at least where I'm at or above where I'm at. Like at least someone I can look up to or I can call and have a conversation and, and get some insight like what you're doing on this episode right now. Well, what it would look like to have an entire database of that an entire black book of that or an entire enterprise of that. There's no limitations at that point in time versus me fighting to go for the one shark, the one great white. I love that. I love that. My thing is, I believe that when I'm operating in my element, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Those opportunities Mm -hmm. will flow to me. And so I don't necessarily actively seek them out, but they tend to happen. Like, for example, and and sometimes what, what what's cool about podcasting is I'll interview people before they get to that point. Like I'll give you an example. Jesse Cole with the Savannah Bananas was on my show Mm -hmm. years ago. They were doing great things, but they weren't on ESPN and and traveling the country and doing what they are now. But I had an opportunity to talk to him way back in the day. And so those types of things where I try to do my job on identifying potential, like saying, okay, this person, they have potential to be here. 
I want to talk to them mm-hmm. while they, while they're here, right? To start to build those relationships. Exactly. So I, I identify with what what you're saying there. So it'll be interesting to see as we continue to put a a, a fresh focus on growth with enterprise now, what that mm-hmm. looks like. It'll be cool to watch from the inside, but I was just kind of curious to hear your perspective. What are some of the tactics that you're to grow your audience? So multiple different things. I mean, obviously, you know, I think growing the audience organically kind of makes things a little bit easier per se. And to your point, if you're going to go organic, but you're not going to go famous, then you want to at least go after people that have followings or have platforms that people are following. Right. So that just kind of gives me opportunity to multiply infinitely. In addition to that, I mean, content, I mean, posting content frequently, it is not okay to make a, a, a episode and post it on Tuesday and then walk away. Like that episode should be posted on all platforms. Then it should be reposted again. Like I'm at the point now to where I'm posting season one, season two, season three, season four, season five, season six, all at the same time. And they're overlapping because when somebody comes into my circle, they may come in in season 10, where that means I have nine of the seasons of evergreen content that they could easily listen to, but they're not going to go search for it. So I have to make sure I'm keep putting that content in front of them over and over again. Got it. So the seasons thing, does that work well for you? I, I have not yet explored that, that methodology of releasing episodes. How has that worked for you? Well, again, I think from it, from a standpoint of, I, I don't live on this land. I've always been the weirdo amongst weirdos. So I think of it from uh, the outside experience. So I was like, how do I then leverage this to kind of give people the seniority, right? So somebody may come into a podcast and you say, Oh, I, I got 400 episodes. Oh, that's a, they don't, they're not really sure if that's a huge number or not, right? If they're looking from it, like Grey's Anatomy probably has like 3000 episodes at this point in time. They've been on the air for like 10 years, but they don't realize. But when you see Grey's Anatomy has been on for 11 seasons, 11 seasons, that's a long time. Because they, they think about television, seasons are usually like a quarter or maybe six months or maybe even a year sometimes, right? And there's always a gap in between. So it, like the l- longitude of you being along for that period of time gives you so much more credibility. So that's why I do it that way. In addition to that, it makes it a, a search engine factor for me. So on our online directory, right? We talked about the book directory. We talked about our podcast directory. Well, why not make a season an option? So if you remember listening to season three, but you don't remember the episode, well, I'm only going to do but so many episodes in season three. You select season three and it shows you all the episodes from season three. You select season six. It shows you all the episodes from season six. So from the organizational standpoint, it's definitely something that's fluid that makes it easy for people to search for that content. Very cool. What are some of the challenges as a podcaster? You've been at it for a while. You are a podcaster, mm-hmm. right? What, what are some of the challenges that you're finding you're having in the market? I think it got, kind of goes back to the big picture again before. Like I am working to where I can, if I die tomorrow, this podcast and everything that I'm building in this ecosystem, this umbrella company should be able to not run itself today, but eventually be able to run itself to a certain extent. So whether it's my ancestors or whether it's like my kids or whether it's someone else that buys the company from them, then ideally all these structural things are in place. Like right now I'm working on creating an AI avatar of myself. So that way I can create content at scale, right? Or I could be sick. or I can get cancer next week. Podcasts could potentially be done or I could find a new alternative way to create new content with my AI avatar. So again, I'm thinking more so the future versus back in the day. I was thinking for now and understanding growth, but then I really applying what growth looks like down the road. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think right now the actors are on strike. And one of the, the points was you're taking this, our likeness and our name and you're using it 
and you don't want to pay us. It's like, well, wait a minute. It's my name, my likeness. It doesn't matter if it's AI or 3D. You need to pay us. So it's this interesting that you're already thinking uh, along those lines, right? And you talk about growth, scalability, and future of content. That's going to be a huge part of content in the future. I know my son and his his kids, they may never meet a person in 3D. It may always be the AI representation of that person. So that's really cool. And that's a whole nother episode we could probably spend on AI and, and, and technology. Other than building out the new website and really setting some things in place for the future of your company, <laughs> what's the next thing for Boss Uncaged? So I, I usually work 12 to 18 months ahead of schedule. So last year at this time, I was like, okay, I want to be able to not only extend the monetization of what we're doing on Boss Uncaged, but I wanted to have a buffer. So right now we have a backlog of about three seasons worth of content. So I could technically stop recording episodes right now and do whatever else I want to do. So the beginning of this year, I focused like the first four months of this year on book development and like setting up my books for delivery for like the next two or three or four years down the road. So like my first book was, well, my ninth book in, in this new series of what I'm doing was a podcasting book. And then in January, I was like, okay, before I make the podcasting book, I need to make these notebooks. And if you're looking at the video, you can kind of see these notebooks up here behind me. All these colors are all the different variables of notebooks and, and styles of notebooks. So I created 32 notebooks. I did all that in one month. And then I created like the genre of like my new pod notes, which is similar to like cliff notes, right? But again, it's just for podcasters. And then I also have my journal series that allows podcasters to use their notes or to kind of collectively put information in a document that has the outline for you. So again, I'm building all this infrastructure going into the next couple of years. And also I've already pre-written 12 books for um, a kid's book. Cause that's going to be like my next thing, right? Like how do I get kids involved? How do I make it more cartoony? How do I make it more playful? But at the same time, give them definitions of words that they may not have heard like XLR. What is an XLR? Like what, what does that have to do with anything and kind of put these pieces together. So I'm strategizing on the content of book development. And then after that, going into about 12 months from now is going to be software development. Like how am I doing what I'm doing at scale and how do I then turn it into a SaaS-based platform to allow other people to do what I'm doing right now? Very cool. Very cool. What questions did I not ask you that I should have asked? Wow. I think the keyword came up about monetization a couple of different times. So I think if you had any questions about like monetizing, I think this would probably be a good back and forth thing for you and I to kind of talk about. Because again, podcasting, you'll fall in love with it. There's passion for it. But I don't think nobody wakes up on a random Tuesday and say, I'm going to be a podcast and I'm going to do it yeah. for free. So you're doing it for money. So like how to make money doing podcasting, I think is a good question to answer. So let's talk about it a little bit. I think we got a, a few more, more minutes here. I always sure. tell people when people, cause I get that question all the time. Like, how do I monetize? How do I monetize? And the thing I always tell people is sp sponsorships and advertising is probably the least lucrative way. And it's often the hardest way. So you have to have so many downloads. So I don't even know if we even want to, talk about that just because it's yeah. literally the hardest, the very least return on investment. So other than that, what are some of the ways that you found um, work well for you? Yeah, I would say, you know, flip that back, right? Why would you give someone else an opportunity to pay for an ad spot to pay you for it? If you have your own products and your own services that you could use your own ad spot, use your own content that you actually own to then leverage that asset, right? From Oprah's standpoint, 
if you're on the O network, you're seeing O commercials for other shows on the O network. So why would you not use your podcast to promote other products and services? So that's the first thing, right? In addition to that, kind of like I talked about the directory. Well, if you're going to be a podcaster that's doing interviews, why would you not have a directory, right? To your point about being a great connector, every time I have a conversation with someone, I'm always thinking about the database in my head, about who I've interviewed, who who they are, what they do. And the second someone says two or three different keywords, I'm either going to follow up and say, hey, I, I want to connect you to this person, or here's my online directory. Go through it. See if there's anybody that you want to connect to, okay? And that's giving that task to that person. It, that means I don't have to make the connection for them until they tell me exactly who they want me to connect them to because they've already done the research. They know exactly who they want to talk to and what they want to talk about. And I've interviewed them and I interviewed the other person. So when I go to LinkedIn or whatever, guess what? Here's both episodes. Here's John and Susan. They're both alumni of Boston Cage Podcast. Deliver to them. Other things, too, is like the books, software. Create these into directories, right? If you're doing a, a fantasy podcast and you're talking about fantasy books, well, what would it look like to have a fantasy directory of books that you can kind of link to Amazon? Or if you're talking about software, well, it only makes sense that you will get affiliate links to every single platform that you're talking about. And again, if you go to any website, including walmart.com, and you go to the footer, there's always an affiliate or a partner link. Partner with everyone. Why not? Make a database of it and then create a platform. Tell. So these are just like top level stuff that I'm talking about. But that's just like the first level of monetization that you can kind of dive into. I, I agree. I'm be very keen on the affiliate strategy just because I'm always thinking of ways of how do I scale? How do I do what I love doing most, which is having conversations and connecting people? And how do I connect people to economic opportunity? Right. And affiliate marketing is it nails both of those fronts. Right. Because now. I can refer to somebody who can help you write your book, for example, and I don't have to help you write your book. It's not, and it's not even what I'm really good at anyway. And so it, it's like a win-win yep. all, all the way around. So let's spend a, a little bit of time going one level yep. deeper into monetization. So like, all right, so we talked about like the content, the content a, a, in itself. Once you start to figure out your pattern of your content, then you can kind of figure out what can you use to make that content for you, like make money for you. Prime example, like if you look at it from a standpoint of a platform, Listen Notes. So anyone that's a podcast, if you haven't heard of Listen Notes, I want you to, to, to take a look at it, see where you're ranked. It kind of gives you a little bit of leverage and a little bit of clout in that environment. But this is how Listen Note makes money, right? If I need to get access to, let's say, a thousand business podcasts because I want to sell them my new software product or whatever, I'm going to go to Listen Notes and I'm going to try to figure out how to download, how to get in contact with all of them. Because again, there's no other real way for me to organize or search for that content without using these databases. So what do they do? They put a price tag on that. If I want to download a thousand in a database file, it'll cost me this amount. It's the same damn content. So imagine a thousand people go to them and each thousand people are all spending a thousand dollars for the same exact content. There's nothing new about the content. They're just repurchasing the same thing. Look at your podcast the same way. What is the pattern that someone is talking about on every episode? For me, it was books. In addition to books, it was software, which goes hand in hand with what I do. So by default, I took that, I noticed it, and I started collecting that data to make that data into databases. And then once I have the databases, then obviously I can sell that content. I'm not selling that person's information, but I'm selling the content to say, well, hey, if you want this information, prime example, books, but you want books that have been recommended by top producing entrepreneurs or business owners, 
Well, yeah, you can go to Amazon and type in books, business books, but you're not going to get an orchestrated list and have the supporting content in the video and the audio to say, this is the person that recommended the book. This is why they recommended the book. And this is why you should purchase the book. It makes it to where, again, it's very targeted, it's very niche, but the conversions are higher. I love it. I love it, man. I, I could talk to you all day, Essay. If people want to reach out to you, learn more about your podcast, your uh, brand, mm-hmm. and other uh, projects that you're working on, how can they do that? I think the easiest way, man, is just go to the, the biggest search engines, right? Which is essentially Google and YouTube, and they're both owned by the same company. And if you just type in Boston Cage with the words connected or with a space in between, we should pretty much dominate all the search results that you're going to get because we've been building multiple different disciplines to just be that enterprise on the search engines. Very cool, man. Well, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your uh, wisdom. I love hearing you process and talk how you think about things. So I appreciate that. Well, I definitely appreciate it, man. I think it kind of goes back to the joke of how we first met. It was kind of like we, we met through a, a fellow like networker and he was kind of like, you guys are the same person. And when we first met, I was like, yeah, we're both black. We're both bald. We both have mustaches and beards. And then when we had that first conversation, I was like, can't even, I can't even call the other person and talk about him because I think he was dead on. He was a hundred percent right. So I definitely appreciate being on your show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Same. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to some future collaborations as well, because I think the work that you're doing and the work that we're doing is there's some yeah. really cool synergy. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, man. Well, that's the show. Thanks again. And we will talk to you soon. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.